Hello again, everyone, wherever you may be, and welcome to the 162nd edition of KHY Community Radio's Capital Week, your window on the world of Iowa politics, where we explore and analyze who's been making news in and around the state capitol, what that news is, and what it all means. We are glad you're with us. I'm Dennis Hart, joined as always by my longtime partner in politics, Laura Bellin of the blog site Bleeding Heartland. Welcome, Laura. Good to be here, Dennis. Laura, we have plenty to talk about, as always, about what happened last week in the state legislature. But we're going to start with breaking news, word about what happened late this Monday afternoon in the Iowa House, which passed several bills. And one of them, Laura, a bill repealing gender balance requirements. Yes, this Iowa led the nation in having a rule requiring gender balance on most state boards and commissions. That was enacted in 1987, and it is now repealed. The Iowa Senate passed the repeal last week, and the House passed it today on a mostly party line vote. There was in the Senate last week, it was also mostly along party lines, although Democrat Herman Kornbach, who represents uh, the Ames area, he did vote for it. He said that he doesn't think that it's needed anymore and that he thought that women would still have a lot of representation on state boards. So this is something Governor Reynolds had asked the legislature to pass, and it is not surprising that it will be headed to our desks very soon. Another bill the House passed late this afternoon, late this Monday afternoon, an anti-swatting bill, and the vote here was unanimous. Right. And the Senate has also passed a version of this bill. This is to to I to address the fact that there have been an increasing number of these swatting calls, so calls that try to get law enforcement to respond to a non-existent threat or incident. There was one day last March where about two dozen school districts were targeted in these swatting incidents. I should say that the bill increases the penalties for making a false report to law enforcement, but it's questionable whether this will make it easier for law enforcement to catch the people who are making these swatting calls. And yet another bill passed by the House late this afternoon, a bill on foreign ag ownership. It is not a ban on foreign ownership of land. No, but this is another bill that Governor Reynolds had asked the legislature to pass and and the governor's office issued a statement. This is actually going to be the first bill probably that will be sent to her desk. And the governor said American farmland should remain in American hands. The the, The bill doesn't ban foreign ownership, but it does increase the reporting requirements and the regulation. And there are will be pretty severe penalties for foreign owners of ag land who don't disclose the mandatory information to the Secretary of State. I think one issue that came up as this bill was moving through was that there's a lot we don't know still about um, the foreign ownership of, of agricultural land in Iowa. And although in uh, many of the people who discussed this bill were talking about a concern about China owning farmland, as it turned out, the Des Moines Register reported that Canada is by far the largest foreign owner of farmland in Iowa. And a little bit earlier this Monday afternoon, another labor union rallied at the state capitol. This time it was the AFL-CIO. Last week, it was the Teamsters protesting the same bill. Yes, there have been almost every year there is at least one bill that the organized labor community really opposes. And this year, it seems to be coalescing around this one. We have discussed this on past programs, but just to remind people, the 2017 changes to collective bargaining in Iowa required recertification elections every contract period for public sector unions. And those recertification elections, I think the the idea was that 
fewer of these bargaining units would be recertified. But in fact, what's happened is 98 or 99 percent of the time, these recertification elections have resulted in the bargaining unit being approved again. So this bill would make it easier for the employer to just prevent a recertification election from happening by failing to file the necessary paperwork with a state board. And then the labor union would only have five days to go to court to try to make sure that they can hold their election. And five days isn't really a lot of time for somebody to get together and get a lawsuit together and go to court, it's also expensive. So labor is very concerned that this will result in a lot of public sector bargaining units being decertified. And now you are absolutely up to speed on everything that happened in the legislature on this Monday afternoon as we go live on Monday night. You can only get this on Capital Week, so keep tuning into us. Now let's talk about all that happened in the legislature last week, and oh boy, was there a lot. Laura, let's start with a quite contentious bill, a bill on religious freedom. The Senate passed it. It was busy. So remember that last week was really the first week of floor debate on bills in the Iowa House and Senate, because before that, all of the work was happening in committees. And so we had already discussed on last week's show some of the bills that the Iowa Senate passed on Monday, including that one addressing the state auditor's authority. This one on Tuesday, they debated what uh, the supporters call the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. A number of states have passed laws like this. Critics call it the uh, uh, a bill that would allow religious-based discrimination. And so there was a very spirited debate on that, and it did end up uh, passing along party lines. It is mo loosely modeled on a federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act in 1993, but whereas the federal law was geared toward protecting individuals from government attempts uh, to um, to prevent them from exercising their religion. This bill that the Iowa Senate has just approved, it, and it may be debated soon in the Iowa House, it it, this addresses individuals or businesses' rights to express their own religious views in a way that could discriminate against other people. And Democrats say it would be a blank check to discriminate against LGBTQ Iowans. Yes, and Republicans pushed back on that. They said no, because there would somebody would still be able to go to court and say that, that there is a compelling reason. That They said that discrimination against LGBTQ people might be a compelling enough reason. But if somebody went to court to say they were discriminated against, the standard that this law would set would be that the court would have to consider whether there was a compelling reason to not allow this type of exercise. I mean, it is the, the, like I said, there is a lot of disagreement just even over the basic facts of how these laws have impacted other states. About two dozen states have passed similar laws there is a federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act on the books, but the uh, federal, the intention of the federal law, which passed with bipartisan support 30 years ago, was quite different from this one. And last week, a unanimous House vote, yes, unanimous, approved a bill requiring health insurance policies to cover certain things. I mean, one thing that we always we often talk about the politically controversial bills, and those usually aren't unanimous, right? But there really are quite a lot of bills that pass in the legislature unanimously. And this was one that the House debated last week. So this would require health insurance policies to cover uh, diagnostic breast exams. So that would include a mammogram, an ultrasound, or an MRI, depending on the situation. And I think a lot of health insurance policies already cover those things, but this would just make it mandatory in the state of Iowa. And the House also passed a bill last week to increase per pupil state aid for kindergarten through 12 schools by 3%. 
Yes, and this one was not, a, this This was not a unanimous vote. It was the opposite of a unanimous vote. So the House Republicans had proposed a 3% increase in the state per pupil allowance, and Democrats offered an amendment that would have increased that to 6%. They said the school districts, superintendents, school boards were telling them that they need to start catching up with inflation because the, the public schools in Iowa have not been funded at a rate that has kept pace with inflation. So the Republican majority in the Iowa House voted down that Democratic amendment and then uh, passed this 3% increase. I should point out that the governor had asked for a 2.5% increase. So it's not clear whether the Senate will go along with 3%. And it's also not clear whether the governor would sign that. And I also want to say, because this can be confusing for people, this is a 3% increase in state aid per pupil. It doesn't mean that every school district gets 3% more than they got last year. And so what can happen is a school district may actually get less money next year than this year if they have declining enrollment. Right. And let's be clear here. Does this apply to private schools? No, this is the state supplemental aid for uh, for public schools, a K through 12 public schools. The one way that it would affect private schools indirectly is that whatever the final amount is in the per pupil allowance to public schools, that will also be applied to private school tuition in the school choice program that was enacted last year. So that will automatically increase by the same amount as the state supplemental aid increase. All right. The House was busy last week. It also passed a bill letting minors, yes, minors, work unsupervised in some child care settings. We're talking about kids under the age of 18. Yeah, so this was one, uh, this follows up on a bill that was passed two years ago that was designed to in, to help address the workforce shortage in child care centers. And so the, the bill two years ago allowed 16 and 17 year olds to work unsupervised with school age children. And this bill would allow 16 and 17 year olds to work unsupervised with children under the age of five. And so uh, this was very controversial with Democrats during the debate saying that, and also in the committee discussion, saying that to address the childcare workforce shortage, we really need to look at things like increasing wages for childcare workers, because that's where the shortage comes from, rather than having less qualified people looking after kids. And the state said it didn't want to appear to be lollygagging, so it passed a bill making it easier for landlords to get rid of tenants. Yes, this was a controversial bill, so it's uh, it's a little bit complicated. But yes, the, the the supporters of the bill said that this would standardize and clarify the landlord-tenant laws, and uh, Democrats didn't like some of the new notice requirements. They thought that that would um, that would be difficult for tenants. And Republicans in the state house advanced a bill last week to prohibit the use of a planned merchant code for credit card transaction transactions at gun retailers. And so this was something where I, I don't really know how widespread a problem this is. I did listen to the committee discussion of this bill, and they were saying what they don't want is for credit card companies to discriminate against gun dealers by um, using a special code that would that might result in, let's say, a firearms dealer not being able to get serviced by um, with credit card transactions. So this one would would say, I mean, it's questionable how much that is happening or might happen, but they just want to prevent it from happening. And this was a mostly party line vote, but there were six Democrats in the Iowa House who joined Republicans to support this bill. All right. So the state Senate, uh, again, uh, jumping into the action, approved a blood donation bill. Now, how in the world could a blood donation bill be controversial? Well, Laura, tell us, please. What do I always say, Dennis? 
look at the lobbyist declarations. Always look at the lobbyist declarations, and that is key for this bill. So this bill would say that individuals can say that they want a directed blood donation, which means something that I solicit from perhaps a friend or family member, that they can donate blood and it'll be banked specifically for me if I have a medical procedure coming up that might require a transfusion. The Iowa Medical Society and the Red Cross and the state's large blood banks were all registered against this bill. They said there would be administrative costs, financial costs, and that there are also medical issues. There are medical reasons why this is not a good idea to, to have this happen. However, it did pass in the Iowa Senate on a party line vote, uh, and it is going to a House subcommittee on Tuesday. So Democrats said it was dangerous and provided or grounded in anti-vaccine ignorance. As the, the floor manager denied that this was about vaccines, but we have seen around the country that there's been a trend of people going to blood banks and asking if they can have blood from people who weren't vaccinated, specifically weren't vaccinated against COVID-19. Of course, there's no way to test blood for that because vaccinations don't remain in the bloodstream. And so uh, that was what, especially State Senator Bill Dotzler, when he spoke against that bill during the Senate debate, he said that this, you know, this is just shows that there is no respect for facts or science in this body. All right, the State House almost passed another bill unanimously, not quite, the vote was 92 to two to strengthen Iowa's open meetings law. We've seen this over the last couple of years that the Iowa House has passed a number of bills that are designed to strengthen either the open records or the open meetings law. Uh, this one would be both. So they debated this on Thursday. This was inspired by the situation in Davenport last year following that tragic building collapse that we talked about in late May. Uh, there were some problems that local media had getting records and information from the city government. And then what really made people angry is that before the election, the city council had approved some secret settlement ingredient agreements for city employees to leave. And they didn't, that didn't happen in an open meeting. People didn't find out about it before the election. And so this would, uh, it was, many called it an egregious violation of the open meetings law. So this would increase the penalties for local officials who violate the open meetings law. It would also have more mandatory training for local elected officials as well as appointed officials. So people appointed to local government boards and commissions, they would also have to do this training. All right, so we've been talking about bills that passed either the House or the Senate last week. There was a hearing in the House last week. Oh my, this is one of the more controversial bills. I'm just going to spell it out for you. A-E-A, -E Area Education Agencies, a hearing last week, Laura. I think a year ago, probably very few Iowans would have even been able to tell you what area education agencies were, unless they had someone in their family who benefited from AEA services or if they worked in the education field. Now this has become, like you said, one of the absolute hot button issues of the 2024 session. So the governor introduced a bill which uh, didn't find a lot of support in either chamber, and the House Republicans came up with their own bill and Democrats asked for a public hearing. So that was an hour-long hearing where people spoke. There were more speakers against the bill than for it, but there were many people outside in the hallway who couldn't get into the room. And people people are very passionate on both sides of the issue, uh, but particularly the people who don't want the legislature to make major changes to the AEA. So we're going to see this bill so far has not come up on the debate calendar. It is eligible for debate in the House, but I think there may be further amendments to it before they bring it to the floor. It is complex, and we're going to get into it as there is more action. So just stay tuned. Stay tuned. Also last week, the Senate Ethics Committee dismissed a complaint against a state representative, Jeff Shipley, and it took them, oh my, a long time here. A couple of minutes, Laura. 
Well, it was a good thing I wasn't late for the meeting. I went in person and it was scheduled to start at nine and they were basically done by 9.02. So uh, Sarah Hayden Paris had filed this complaint against Jeff Shipley. She leads an organization that seeks to provide banned books, make banned books available to children to, and students in schools. And uh, he had they had gotten into uh, some heated exchanges over social media where he accused her of providing obscenity and porn to students and schools. And so she filed this ethics complaint saying that he defamed her basically. And there was absolutely no discussion. I mean, I knew what the complaint was about because I had read the coverage ahead of time in the Des Moines Register, but there was no explanation of what the complaint was, what his defense was, and there was absolutely no discussion. The six members of the ethics committee, three Republicans and three Democrats, just voted to dismiss the complaint. Um, and go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, Jeff Shipley had said that that he hadn't violated the ethics rules and that they just had a political disagreement. I was able to get comments from a few of the members uh, later that they they said that they just didn't feel that the actions rose to the level of something that would be an ethics violation. Now, if he were found in court, if a court adjudicated and said that he actually defamed somebody, that might be different. She might be able to go back and file another complaint at that time. I was just getting excited about a state Supreme Court decision uh, last week that ruled that lawmakers' emails are shielded. This is interesting. This one goes all the way back to the 2021 legislative session. So the first year we were doing this show together, Dennis. So it was the election bills that passed in 2021 made a number of changes to the absentee rules early voting. So shorten the early voting window, uh, shortened by one hour, the in-person voting on election day, a lot of new rules saying you couldn't hand deliver somebody else's completed ballot and many other things. And LULAC, which is the League of United Latin American Citizens, filed a lawsuit saying that this violated their constitutional rights and those of their members in many ways. So as part of, as this lawsuit has taken years to work its way through the court, they're at the discovery stage now, and they had asked for emails involving some of the key legislators who worked on that bill, not the legislators' emails with each other, but legislators' emails with outside parties who were supporting the election bill. And this went all the way up to the Iowa Supreme Court. A district court had held that, yes, uh, LULAC was entitled to get some of this correspondence, but the Iowa Supreme Court said that although they didn't define the full scope of legislative immunity, they said the Iowa Constitution does provide for legislative immunity of some kind, that these emails were related to the legislative process. And they also said that they didn't think that the emails were relevant to LULAC's case because LULAC's claims about the constitutional problems with the election law don't really rest on the legislative intent. So these emails might reveal something about the legislative intent, but that that wouldn't be important for LULAC's case. All right. It's 18 minutes and 20 seconds after the hour. If you're listening to us live and you are in tune with KHY Radio's Capital Week, your one-stop source for everything political going on in Iowa. I'm Dennis Hart with Laura Bellin, and we are now in our fourth year, four years of being here in this time slot to talk about politics with an Iowa flavor. And now this program is also available as a podcast. All you have to do search for KHOI's Capital Week. That's KHOI's Capital Week on your favorite platform. Could be Apple, could be Google, Amazon, Spotify. And there we are. Again, it's KHOI's Capital Week. Laura, you and I are just making waves everywhere. Yes, and it is easy to find on your podcast platform. All right. There were a lot of other bills that survived the funnel last week. We did not get a chance to talk about them. We're not going to talk about them tonight. We will as they take uh, further action. Among them, and we're not going to get, spend any time on these, but there's a food labeling bill, uh, bill arming school staff, nursing home inspections, hotel inspections, proof of citizenship for in-state tuition, 
literacy programming, even a bill on bestiality. Oh my lord, I don't know why that makes me laugh. How in the world do we have a bill? On Apparently, Dennis, I think the bestiality bill has a better chance of clearing the Iowa House. From what I hear, it's in trouble in the Iowa Senate. So we'll see. We'll talk about it later when it comes to the floor of one chamber or the other. However, we do want to talk about a little bit of length tonight about some bills that failed to survive the funnel. Among them, Laura, the school chaplains bill. This was a surprise to me because this one seemed to be on the move in late January. So there were companion bills in the House and the Senate. They got subcommittees quickly. And they, the idea was that you would make it easier for school districts to hire chaplains, although they, they I mean, they were called chaplains in the bill, but they, there wasn't any particular licensing or certification uh, required for that. And in the education community, there was a lot of concern about this bill, that uh, these people might not be mandatory reporters, that they wouldn't be licensed or trained to work with children, that, and even there were some people who had worked as chaplains themselves who said, that talked about the training that they went through. But in any case, uh, they advanced from subcommittee, and I thought it was only a matter of time, but they did not end up getting through the House or the Senate education committee. So they're in, in theory, they're not going to be considered this year, although it's possible that amendments could be added to other education bills that try to bring this provision back. Right. And again, we're talking right now about bills that failed to pass the fund. All right. Another one was a bill on homelessness that a lot of advocacy groups did not like. Yes, this one, it came from an out-of-state organization, and it really showed up late. It showed up during the funnel week, and there was a subcommittee on it in the Senate, and that was supposed to be considered by the Senate Local Government Committee later the same day, so it looked like it was on a fast track. But it was I, I listened to the subcommittee, and there were just many advocacy organizations against this bill, pointing out different problems. It was a very lengthy bill, and the only group registered in favor was the Cicero group that had introduced the, the bill, basically, introduced the language. And so the Senate said, that they just didn't have time to do the work they needed to on this bill. And I think that it may come back in some form, but one of the most controversial aspects of this homelessness bill would that it would be that it could make it a crime to sleep in a public place. And um, many people thought that that could be the wrong approach. It also would have penalized local governments, like they might lose state funding if there's a certain amount of homelessness. And there were people saying, well, you don't want to penalize the, the communities that are dealing with homelessness. You would actually want to give them more funding, not less funding. Another bill that died would have expanded the state's medical cannabis program. As in Iowa still has one of the most limited medical cannabis programs of the states that do have some kind of uh, legal cannabis for medical use, very limited on the concentrations and the parts of the plant. And uh, every year somebody introduces a bill to try to allow different parts of the plant to be used, and it usually fails as it did this year. Another bill that died would have been uh, a bill that would have stopped the buying of firefighter suits that have cancer-causing chemicals. Yes, it turns out that the some of the fire retardants that they use in firefighter, firefighters' equipment is really cancer-causing. And I was speaking with a firefighter about this when I was in Council Bluffs a couple of months ago. And he was saying the cancer rate, it really is sky high for firefighters. So this was something that they had lobbied for. There is a different bill that firefighters are looking at that did get through the funnel, and we'll talk about that possibly later. But this one is not going to be further considered this year. And another bill that was uh, DOA at some point, classroom spending accounts for teachers. 
Yes, and teachers pay a lot out of pocket for school supplies. And so there was an idea that we might create spending accounts. I mean, the main problem with this bill was that there wasn't any new money associated with the spending accounts. This would have just come out of what the school districts were already getting from the state as part of that per pupil allowance. And so people thought that was a non-starter because then, you know, that might not be the best use of those funds. And school districts are going to have to make a lot of tough budget choices. And they didn't want to be in a situation where they have to spend a lot of money buying clean or pencils or whatever when meanwhile they're cutting staff in another area of the budget. And quickly one more bill that died would have involved penalties for no pun intended exposing a child to a drag performance. Yes, yeah, so and we have seen some other Republican-controlled states have passed these anti-drag laws. They've been in court immediately because there, there's some, there's been some court rulings that drag performances are a First Amendment, a free expression, right? So this did uh, get a subcommittee, but it did not get a full committee hearing, and therefore it won't be considered for the remainder of this year's session. All right, there was other news, and this one today, both sides have now submitted their final legal briefs in the state Supreme Court hearing on abortion. Now, this is complex. We don't want to confuse anybody there. The state Supreme Court has not yet set arguments in the case, but both sides have submitted their legal briefs on how they're going to argue it. This is related to the law that the legislature passed last July in that one day special session. So they passed that law and Planned Parenthood immediately filed a lawsuit the next day and tried to get an injunction. And the Polk County District Court did issue an injunction. So that law would would ban an estimated 98 percent of all abortions in Iowa. And it is on hold. So abortion is legal right now, but the state wants to be able to enforce that. So they are appealing the order for a preliminary injunction that the district court judge issued last summer. So it's procedurally really complicated because there are a lot of different ways the Supreme Court could approach this. They could just say, look, we are going to send this back to the lower court and let the lawsuit proceed in lower court. And that could mean like a year or more before the Supreme Court actually decides on the merits. The state wants the Supreme Court to decide right away, basically on the merits, to say that the abortion restrictions are subject to only a rational basis review, which is the easiest bar for the government to clear in this kind of legal proceeding. And that would almost guarantee that the law would be upheld. So uh, Planned Parenthood is arguing that that's not appropriate for this stage of the litigation, and they should let the parties go back and fight about it in district court and then and leave the law on hold while the lawsuit proceeds. So again, as you mentioned, oral arguments have not been set, but I, I'm expecting that sometime this spring, the Iowa Supreme Court will hear oral arguments and probably issue a decision in the summer. And Planned Parenthood is saying that if the court does decide to consider the legal standard for abortion, Iowa should keep the undue burden standard in place. So the undue burden standard is a kind of a balancing test. So that would balance the interests of the person, the pregnant person who wants to end the pregnancy with the state's interest in wanting to uh, wanting to prevent abortions and have and and have more babies be born. So that would be a balancing test. The state has argued and the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in the Dobbs decision two years ago that the undue burden test is unworkable. So the state is saying this is an unworkable test last year when the Iowa Supreme Court deadlocked over whether they should allow that 2018 abortion ban to go into effect, three of the justices indicated that they would support some kind of a balancing test. Three of them did not, and the seventh justice recused uh, Dana Oxley. She did not participate in that decision. So one big question is, will Dana Oxley recuse from the current case? Or if she decides to participate in the current case, then that guarantees uh, almost a 4-3 decision one way or the other. About two and a half minutes left. Uh, this one, next one's going to affect every Iowa driver, potentially. Iowa and seven other states 
won the right for drivers to buy gasoline blended with e uh, 15% ethanol during the summer, but the EPA says it won't go into effect until next year. And boy, that's teeing off uh, Governor Reynolds. Yes, I mean, everybody, the Iowa political establishment and both parties support year-round access to E15. And so there were a lot of statements praising the Biden administration, but Governor Reynolds and others also criticized the EPA for delaying this implementation for a year. We should say E15 is about 15 or 16 percent uh, cents cheaper than regular gasoline. Most gas is blended with 10 percent ethanol. That's right. And most of what most of the gas that people buy, actually, not every gas station has a pump that can dispense the E15. But in any case, uh, most Iowa drivers do buy ethanol. All right. Democrats made some news statewide Democrats last week when they reported that more than 19,000 voters had requested those presidential preference cards by their February 19th deadline. 19,000 Iowans. You think that's a lot? No. Well, it's not a lot. Well, okay. I mean, it depends how you look at it, right? I mean, if, considering that there's not really a, a strong contest and uh, President Biden doesn't really face any serious challengers, I would say, you know, then you wouldn't expect a high turnout. And that's not a high turnout. I mean, if we had a competitive caucus, you would expect to see 150,000 or more Democrats participating in that. Yeah. One more quick note, about a minute here. Uh, Senator Grassley still silent after the federal government linked a Biden smear to Russian intelligence. Yeah, so we had discussed this on last week's show that Alexander Smirnov was arrested and charged with lying to the FBI. He was at the center of a document that Senator Grassley published last summer that re that re passed along some bribery allegations about the Biden family. The FBI and the federal prosecutors are saying those were lies. And also last week in a court filing, they said that Smirnov has had extensive and including recent contacts with Russian intelligence. I've been trying to get comments uh, from Senator Grassley's office. He hasn't made any statement about that. He has been holding a lot of public events around the state, but he has not commented on that issue. And 30 seconds last Thursday was Caitlin Clark Day in Iowa. The State House unanimously passed a resolution honoring the brilliant University of Hawkeye women's basketball star. Yeah, so she's broken so many records, and uh, she also, this this happened just a few days after she broke the all-time NCAA women's scoring record. She has a pretty good chance of breaking the all-time NCAA men's record as well. Congratulations, Caitlin Clark. Laura, we're done, but we're going to be back next week. Oh, yes. Well, plenty to discuss. Oh, my. Always. All right. We're out of time. And you have been listening to Capital Week on KHOI Community Radio. A reminder that the views and opinions expressed here did not necessarily reflect the opinions of KHOI or its staff. Laura and I will indeed be back here next week at the same time. And we'll be talking about everything interesting, important or entertaining about politics, Iowa style. Until then. We hope you can join us. Thank you so much for the privilege of your time this evening. We appreciate it and we value it. Between now and then, let's all go ahead and have a safe, healthy, and yes, very happy week.